All right, good morning. As, uh, as Brady just said, we're finishing up this series today uh, all about how our everyday habits wind up accumulating and, and before we know it, turning us into certain kinds of people. Um, you guys remember, it's not so popular anymore, but a few years ago, remember the WWJD craze? People wore the bracelets and you could always you know, find your favorite athlete and you could see if he's a Christian if he's wearing the WWJD, right? So the whole premise behind that campaign was when I get to some kind of a, a big moment in life, some kind of a difficult challenge in life, before I act, I'm going to ask myself the question, what would Jesus do? And then I'm going to do, do that, right? And that was, the, that was the approach. And it was a great idea. You know what the, I think the problem was with that, with that approach? Um, we don't, we can't act like Jesus did at the big critical moments of life unless we have been living the way that he lives in our everyday, day in and day out, behind the scenes kind of life. Does that make sense? So we don't get his power in the big moments unless we've been taking on his habits in the small, quiet moments. And that's really what this series is all about. And so today we're gonna be looking at a habit that Jesus practiced in his own life that his followers have practiced for centuries. And this is, this is a habit that if you will incorporate into your life, uh, God will use it powerfully to form you and to shape you and mature you. So the scripture today is Matthew chapter four, and uh, we're just gonna read the first four verses of Matthew chapter four. Here's what happened. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So obviously we're talking about fasting and I'm gonna keep it very simple today. Two points, why should I fast? And secondly, how should I fast? So the why and the how. So let's talk first about this big question why should I fast? And I realize, let me just say this right up front, I realize I've got my work cut out for me trying to convince you of this first point. Right? I mean, let's be honest. I can just see you guys sitting there right now like, all right, don't mess with my food. <laughs> I mean, we're into food in our country, in our culture. It is a big deal. And just a, as a kind of random example of that, I was just thinking about a couple of years ago, do you remember when the new Sonic went in on Route 46 in Totowa? I remember driving by that, that restaurant, if you can call it that, and I remember noticing a police car up front with the lights on, remember that? And for about the first year that it was open, they had police presence on campus. I thought, why in the world do they need a patrol car at Sonic? And then I realized it was because the mobs were so chaotic and they needed someone to do crowd control and control the lines of people. Also, everyone could get you know, a blue slushie and some onion rings. I mean, we just love our food. We love to order out, we love to eat out, we love to get takeout, we, we just love our food. So because food's such a big deal, especially in our country, um, most people don't fast, so I get that. And I, I can see it in your eyes. You're just sitting there just saying, go ahead, preacher, give us your spiel, but I'm not doing it, right? <laughs> And what I'll say up front is that if, if this is not part of your life at all, you are missing out. You are missing out on something um, really great. So let me just give you three reasons why you should reconsider. First reason is to experience 
God. And really three different ways in which fasting helps you experience God. First, to experience his presence. Um, Jesus had a conversation once with some of John the Baptist's disciples, some of his followers. And so let's just listen in on this conversation. It's in Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. Then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. So you see the the situation, Uh, John's guys, John the Baptist guys, were confused as to why Jesus' guys didn't fast. They thought that everybody should do that. And Jesus says, the reason is because I'm with them right now. So there's something about Jesus being present with them that made fasting unnecessary. But then Jesus goes on to say, when I'm taken away from them, they will fast. So the implication is that that somehow fasting connects us with the presence of Jesus. Somehow, uh, the absence of food must open up space for the presence of God. Hmm. Personally, I'm not a very good faster. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm very much junior varsity level in my fasting right now, but I'm growing. And a while ago, it was in the morning of a day that I was planning to fast, and I was reading the Bible, and I'm convinced by God's design, uh, I was in the Psalms, and the Psalm that I came to that day was Psalm 63. And so here's what I read that morning. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And then verse 5 says, my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. It was exactly what I needed to hear that morning because this was God's, God saying to me, your desire to seek me, your thirst for me will be satisfied. Just, just as if you were eating great food, but even better, even deeper. Have you gotten a, a, a taste of that? It's a very real thing. The second way you can experience him through fasting is to experience his word, God's word. Um, The main scripture reading that we read up front was from Matthew chapter 4, which is the temptation of Christ, right? So Jesus went into the wilderness. It says he fasted for 40 days, and Satan came up to him and said, if you're really the son of God, then just turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now, remember... Jesus was human, right? Jesus was incredibly hungry. And the thought of eating a piece of bread was extremely appealing to Jesus at that point. But he basically says, look, bread is not the only thing that feeds me. I can get deep satisfaction from the word of God. God's word, the words that God speaks can somehow fill me like bread does. So some of you today will hear this sermon and you'll leave church and you'll take it to heart and you will decide to skip some meals. And instead of eating, you'll take scripture, God's word, and you'll read it, and you'll meditate on it. And one of the common effects of fasting is it often makes your mind sharper and more alert, which changes the way you read God's word. It focuses you. And so as you're fasting, scripture will come alive to you. You will will notice things in it that you never noticed before. 
And you will see how it connects to specific situations in your life like you've never seen before. It will be like food to you. And I want to be careful not to, not to oversell this or overpromise, but this is very common. If you, let's, for example, if you choose to fast over lunch, and maybe you'll be able to get out for a walk and you'll meditate on a verse of scripture, the way you feel when you get back from lunch will be different. Because instead of feeling kind of lethargic, like you need a nap, thinking like, oh, why did I eat that? Um, instead of that, you'll come back from lunch feeling focused and energized because you've been filled with the word of God and you've actually encountered the presence of God. The third way that fasting helps us experience God is experience his work. Experience God's work. There was another time um, when Jesus didn't eat in the gospels. He'd been talking with this woman who was spiritually searching. Um, she's known kind of famously as the woman at the well. And his disciples realized that Jesus had not eaten anything in a while. So here's the, here's the conversation that happens. John 4, verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him food? They thought maybe he had a, you know, a hidden stash of snacks or something. But look what he says. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And so for Jesus, what he was doing in that moment, engaging with this woman, um, pointing her in the, the direction that she needed to be pointed spiritually, spending time with her, he knew it was God's will. And Jesus basically says, doing God's will can satisfy me just like food can. Have you ever experienced a, a, a taste of that where you are so in the moment where God has opened up a door, maybe a person that needs you in a certain situation, and you're focused on that person, you're focused on that cause so much that if somebody said, hey, you want to eat? You would just say, no, I'm not interested in that right now because I'm doing this thing that I know is important, know that matters. And honestly, some of you might say, no. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I get passionate about things, but never so much that I don't want to eat. You know, I always want food. Um, you're missing out. You're missing out. I saw something happen a couple of weeks ago here at the chapel. Remember about three weeks ago, we showed the video that highlighted the growing ministry we have to uh, children with special needs. And we interviewed a couple that, uh, that has a, a son with special needs and talked about events that were coming up. Um, and we said, hey, you can go into the cafe afterwards and you can find out more information at the table um, about our special needs ministry. There was a mob in our cafe af after that. I mean, it was, it was almost like Sonic. We almost needed police to break up the, you know, the, the chaos that was in there because people were so fired up to get more involved. And it wasn't just the emotion because they came back to the training that we had the next weekend. Um, they came out to the event that we had uh, a week after that where we had a night out for uh, special needs kids and allowed their parents to go out. There was a passion to do this work because people said, I'm so convinced that this is the work of Jesus. And I've seen that, that spirit in other ministries here at the chapel. And, and what I'm talking about is this passion that says, I know that what this work is, is the work of God. And, and when you're so focused on work like that, sometimes it can fill you just like food can. If you're looking for a reason to try fasting more than anything else, I would say it will actually help you to experience God. And maybe in ways that you never have before. His presence becomes more real, right? Um, his word comes alive, and his work becomes more meaningful. Now, the second big reason that we should fast is to reveal 
our idolatry. To reveal our idolatry. Um, what is an idol? An idol is anything we put in the place of God in our life, right? And in the book of Philippians, Paul talks about this in kind of a, kind of a unique way. Um, so he's writing about a certain kind of person. Philippians 3.19, listen to what he says. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Their God is their stomach. Isn't that a bizarre thought? So somehow it's possible to worship, to make an idol out of, to make a God out of food and eating. And I've noticed that every time you talk about fasting, somebody quickly says, well, it doesn't have to be food. Right? People like to just point that out. You can fast from other things besides food. And that's true, right? You can give up, you know, TV for a season, or you can give up, you know, some other, you can fast from other things. And during the Lent season, people from the chapel gave up certain things. But there's something about food. There's a reason why in the Gospels, when Jesus fasted, it was from food. There's a reason why through the history of the Christian church, when people have fasted, it's been food that they fasted from. And I think one of the reasons is food has a very sneaky ability to take the place of God in our lives, um, to make our God our, our stomach. And here's what I mean. Let me give you an example of that. If you hear this message and you decide to try this, some of you will have this experience. Um, you'll be going through your day and you'll feel stressed out at work. There'll be some problem that comes up. There'll be some annoying person that gives you a hard time, stress. And in response to that stress, you will instinctively reach for, guess what? Something to eat. I um, mean, you just go. And then you'll remember that you're supposed to be fasting and you go, oh, Dave. <laughs> and then you'll hear the voice of God, not Dave, saying, take your stress to me. And maybe he'll remind you of something like Philippians 4 that says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, take your stress to me, not to the raspberry cheese Danish. God will be reminding you, I make a much better God than the Danish does. Or some of you will feel bored, and you'll instinctively reach for food. Or you'll feel lonely, and you'll instinctively grab for something to eat. Um, you'll feel depressed, and you'll go for food. And God says, come to me. I can fill you in much better ways than the food can. And so choosing to fast for a meal, for a day, it's a very, a very practical way to identify and to repent of ways that you're using food as a fake god as an idol. Fasting helps identify that and helps you deal with it. So it helps us to experience God. It helps us to um, deal with idol, the idol of food in our lives. And the third reason you should fast, the last reason, is to become strong, to become a stronger person. Um, listen to uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 9.27. He says, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I discipline my body, think about that, and make it my slave. Does, that, does it sound harsh to you? I know for some people, this is why they don't want anything to do with fasting. It's the whole thing sounds medieval, like what a monk does, you know? 
And maybe you think about, remember in the Da Vinci Code, the, the albino guy who was kind of this crazy, devoted guy, and he wore that thing around his thigh that cut into his leg so he could experience the pain of, of Christ. And you just say, that's just morbid. It's weird. I'm not going to do that. Fast. Ooh. This is not that. This is discipline. This is training. And remember what we said the very first week of the series. Discipline in your life doesn't lead to confinement. It leads to freedom in a, in a very paradoxical way, right? As you control yourself, as you discipline yourself, it actually opens up life and leads to freedom. Um, Richard Foster, the author, says, for most Americans, our appetites are like spoiled children. If you picture a kid in the Toys R Us, right, he's going through the aisle, and he's going, I want that, I want that. And the, and the mother is going, oh, let me get that for you. I don't want you to be deprived of anything you want. And he says, our appetites are like that. You know, we, we get like a little twang, twang, twinge of hunger, and we go, I want that. I want that blue slushy thing right now. It's like a spoiled kid. Give me it, right? Our appetites, are, they're used to being gratified. So what's the best way to deal with a spoiled kid? Give him everything he wants? How about just saying no? And the kid hates it at first. And when you, if you fast and you feel like this, I want that thing, and you say no to it, your stomach will hate you at first. But then we'll kind of grow up and we'll learn, okay, I'm not just gonna, every time I feel like something, I'm not gonna get it. And you can actually train and discipline your stomach like you can a spoiled brat. Um, it grows up. Thomas Akempis, the great spiritual leader of years ago said, excuse the old English, refrain from gluttony and thou shalt the more easily restrain all the inclinations of the flesh. So that's an important thought. Um, when you control the way that you use food, it doesn't just help your eating, it helps you gain mastery over every area of your life. Um, Dallas Willard, more contemporary writer, said it like this, persons well used to fasting as a systematic practice will have a clear and constant sense of their resources in God. And that will help them endure deprivations of all kinds, even to the point of coping with them easily and cheerfully. Since food has the pervasive place it does in our lives, the effects of fasting will be diffused throughout our personality. That's, a, that's probably the most powerful quote outside scripture that has taught me about fasting, how powerful it is in, in all of our lives. Um, it's a powerful habit. It helps us to experience God. It reveals if we're making an idol out, out of food, turning to food for what God wants to do for us, and it strengthens us in our whole being. So if you're not fasting, you just miss out on way too much. So, I know it's almost lunchtime. <laughs> but let's, we gotta do the second point. How should I fast? And let's talk about a couple things. First of all, our audience. Um, who are we doing this for? In the Old Testament, uh, the people of Israel had fasted regularly, and through the prophet Zechariah, God challenged um, basically their motives. He said, ask all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? In other words, fasting should be unto God, right? A way to honor God and glorify God and focus on him. But sometimes our motives aren't that pure. And we got to get that straight, right? For example, if you fast, you might lose some weight. But make sure that losing weight is not the thing that's driving your fasting. Fasting should be to honor God, right? Losing weight's a byproduct. 
Or if you fast, um, you might gain more self-control in your life, which is great, but that shouldn't be the ultimate goal. Self-control in itself is something that then glorifies and honors God. If you choose to fast, um, believe it or not, you can be faced with the temptation of wanting to impress other people with your spirituality. And that's a temptation that Jesus spoke specifically to in the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what Jesus said, uh, Matthew chapter 6. He said, when you fast, I've always noticed Jesus doesn't say if there, right? He says, when you fast, he assumes you're going to do it. Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So you see what Jesus is saying, right? You can actually get self-righteous about your fasting. Just act all sad and, you know, dragging around and just, you know, no, I don't need any lunch today. You guys go ahead. I'm fasting, you know. (laughs) Oh, you are? Yeah, you know, WWJD, that's what I always say. Just don't be like that. So make it between you and God, an audience of one. God says, you'll get your rewards from me. And then finally, let's talk about our approach. Very practical. How do you actually start developing this habit? Um, two basic types of fasts in the Bible. Um, there, there are examples of partial fasts. For example, um, book of Daniel, chapter 1, Daniel and his friends are kidnapped and taken to Babylon as, as prisoners of war, but they're put in the king's palace, remember? And it says, Daniel resolved that he wouldn't defile himself with the king's rich food. So he said, I'm just going to have vegetables and water. So that's a, a partial fast. Still eating, but you're very much limiting it. For some people, like uh, diabetics or people who have legitimate dietary uh, issues, um, a partial fast is the way to go. The more normal, typical kind of fasting talked about in the Bible, though, is a full fast, which is basically no calories. So usually just water to drink um, and and no food that's eaten. Um, Here's what I would suggest. Start small. Don't, don't, Don't try to be a superstar. Um, start with skipping one meal in the day. Um, so if you skip lunch, you know, eat breakfast and then don't eat till dinner. Now, I realize some of you guys already do that. And so you're like, oh, I already fast. This is great. Now, if your body's used to that and you just don't normally eat breakfast or don't normally eat lunch, you know yourself. You know what would represent a step for you. So for some people, skipping one meal is a big, is a big stretch. I know that, right? Um, for a lot of people, and then just do that once a week for a few weeks. For a lot of people, this next step that I'm going to talk about is kind of the key one, and that is skipping, skipping two meals. For me, this was the step that I started to experience some of the benefits of fasting. So normal way to do this is you eat dinner, and then you do not eat again till dinner the next day. So it's a 24-hour, essentially a 24-hour fast. Everybody's different. But if you're like a lot of people, you'll find you're really hungry in the morning, but then by lunch... And in the afternoon, um, you start getting a feeling of well-being and a feeling of focus and clarity. Um, and then you could consider lengthening it from a 24-hour to 36-hour. Um, some people go much longer than that. Like I said, I, f- I consider myself just to be learning this discipline. So for me, if I can regularly do 24-hour fasts, that's becoming a powerful habit in my life. But here's this, this is such an important thing. However long you fast... The point is, don't focus on what you're not doing, 
right? Because that, that can be your focus. The main value of fasting is not the fact that you're not eating. The main value of fasting is that it opens up space for God. So let the hunger pangs of your spoiled brat stomach drive you to God. Um, and if possible, use the times when you would normally eat to pray, to focus on scripture, to commune with God. Um, in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster talks about a guy who committed to weekly, weekly fasts, and he kept a journal. And so as the weeks go by, you can see how his focus moves from sort of the outward benefits of fasting to the deeper rewards. And I'm just going to track through a couple of his, couple of his journal, journal entries to, to show you what I mean. So his first journal entry after fasting for a day, I felt it a great accomplishment to go a whole day without food, congratulated myself on the fact that I found it so easy. The next entry he wrote, I began to see that the above was hardly the goal of fasting, was helped in this by beginning to feel hunger. Sometime later, he wrote, I began to relate the food fast to other areas of my life where I was more compulsive. I did not have to have a seat on the bus to be contented or to be cool in the summer and warm when it's cold. Later, he wrote this, reflected more on Christ's suffering and the sufferings of those who are hungry and have hungry babies. And then one more journal entry. Sometime later, he wrote, for the first time, I was using the day to find God's will for my life began to think about what it meant to surrender one's life. When fasting becomes a habit, you begin to grow in the significance of what you gain from it. Fasting once or twice is okay, but it's actually a lot like going to the gym once or twice. You ever just go to the gym once or twice and stop? What do you get from that? Sore. That's what you get, right? You don't really get any benefits. Fasting once or twice is like that. When, you be, when it becomes part of the rhythm of your life, it begins to do things inside you. God uses it. You guys remember this. This past uh, Lent season, we challenged people from the chapel to consider uh, going without something for the period of Lent to experience more of God. And there was a woman from the chapel who was really wrestling with what she should do, how she should respond. And she recently wrote about her experience during that 40-day period. And I want to read you just a couple of excerpts from this woman from our church. She said, I began to feel convicted about the importance that food was playing in my life. Though I love Jesus and appreciate what he has done in my life, when I was stressed, bored, or needing comfort, I would head straight for carbs or sweets and not the God that I love so much. I was being led to fast. I've tried to fast in the past, but I never understood how or the purpose behind it. I always got wrapped up in the details, the rules, the sacrifice. I always had ulterior motives, like losing weight or trying to get God's attention. This time, I was being asked to surrender, control my agenda, fear, pride, even the lies I had about food being an idol in my life. Fasting is a posture of the heart. I don't have to do it. I got to do it. And so this woman from our church, Lori, set out on this amazing journey of a fast for 40 days, actually. Um, and we're actually going to post her whole story uh, on Facebook tomorrow. So I encourage you to check out the chapel Facebook page tomorrow and read about Lori's story. Uh, it's really, really remarkable. And I just want to end this message before we go into communion with one of Lori's uh, lines. She said, I don't have to do this. I get to. Um, when it comes to fasting, we don't have to do it, but we get to. And it's God's invitation to us to experience more of him. So let's get our hearts ready for communion. Servers, if you'll go back and, and get ready, we appreciate that.